We're in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone with him. <laughs> this is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, uh, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of the car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper and someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about females being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality and feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have and if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. Hello and welcome to another episode of Men Behaving Better, episode three, season two. Rolling through it now, Baz Ashmawi is our guest today. If you don't know Baz, he's the presenter, host, creator, creative behind such TV shows as 50 Ways to Kill Your Mammy, Baz's Culture Clash, Baz's Extreme Worlds, Falsha Towers, How Low Can You Go, That Baz Thing. I mean, Wingman is the next thing that he's got and it's truly an extraordinary TV show that we want to get to talk about where Baz essentially helps men and women who need help to achieve something they always wanted to achieve to be their wingman, raise them up and bring them to that place. So it's an incredibly positive chat this one and it begins with isolation and lockdown because Baz I suppose went viral last week in coming out and talking about his cabin fever that we're all feeling to some extent. I guess I'm a, a bit more used to this than others and as I said, I've said before Irish people are in training for lockdown and isolation by going on holidays to the west of Ireland and being unable to leave the house because of the piss and rain but as you know if you've been on one of those holidays those are very tricky situations where relationships that were previously smooth and seamless are now in on top of each other and every crack is magnified because of this microscope that it's being held under and that's where we find ourselves with uh, COVID-19. I hope you're well, I hope you're safe wherever you are listening to this. Maybe you're getting out to enjoy your one daily exercise with this podcast or maybe a viral solution has been found and you're listening to this at some point in the future. In either case, I hope you enjoy it. It is the Baz Ashmawi episode of Men Behaving Better. Baz Ashmawi, thank you so much for doing Men Behaving Better with me. You've been I love us. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, sir. I mean, if ever uh, the world needed an episode about how to live in close quarters, it's now because I think loads of men are coming to terms with the realization that they're a lot more annoying than they previously realized. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, that feeling you get sometimes on holiday where you feel like you need a holiday from your holiday. <laughs> like, I think you get it quite often where it's like I, I've worked nonstop since Christmas. I didn't take a day off because I had the stage show and then I was filming a DIY SOS, the Irish version. And then I was doing another TV series with my mom, a documentary on funerals. And I'd all this work on and I was just kind of working like a madman. And I kept longing for this time with my kids. And now it's just like God gave me the finger and just went, right, you asked for it. So here it, so here it is in all its glory, like, you know. 
So you went viral in the last week or so with a brutally honest post and Insta story about how much you were experiencing this cabin fever. And again, this is I feel that half the reason men behaving better exists is so that fellas don't feel alone. Yeah, uh, that that's a topic that we'll get to later as well in terms of your wingman show that sense that a lot of men have that. I'm the only one that feels this and whether it comes to mental health or just actually just having this feeling that I'm not that good at doing this. It's common enough. But this Insta story that blew up was, I don't know if you scripted it or if you just went off the top of the dome, but it seemed 100% legit. I'm I don't. I usually don't script Insta stories anyway. I know that you might you might think about them beforehand, but I think I was just kind of. I'm. I'm not even. I think it's just the fact that you notice after a day or two of being locked in. I don't think it matters who you're locked in with, but you. It, it starts to become the walls start to close in a bit on you, mm. and you know you can you can spend your life with someone, but being locked up together like this house is is Tanya's office. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is her space. She doesn't like me particularly in it mm. during the week. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's the reason I have my own office space. I go to where I, where I, you know, like she would walk into a room and if I was sitting thinking, which I do quite a bit, she'd go, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, well, I'm thinking. And she's like, oh, well, well, for you, you can sit there thinking, you know, she, she doesn't have a creative process while, while like, she just thinks it's me arson around yeah which, yeah which staring it's not into all, nothingness with, with the screensaver on that's it it's which it's not always but there is an element to that but <laughs> so i so I, I have my own office space that i work out of and i hold meetings in and i do my job and then when i come home home is home you know and and i try over the last few years i try and not bring work in the door bad moods in the door and that's kind of worked but being locked in together is man it's hard it's tough you know, yeah, and I, I feel like um, your advice was to get out of the way. Does that work? Like, is that something you recommend? Yeah, it's it's like um, I don't know if you've ever had very demanding moments with your children, but usually mm-hmm. you have to count to ten. I, we're on our second batch of teenagers, right? So there's six kids in the family, and the, the older two are in their. 20s and they were on our second batch of teenagers and they're they're just unbelievable in the sense that they can say nothing and make you feel very little and most of your relationship is talking through a door to them but there are times where you just have to count to 10 and go okay you know and and understand that you know sometimes they want to have a fight yeah yeah i remember being that age too you want someone just to say the wrong thing. It's that it's that classic of you hear laughter coming out of their bedroom and then, you know, you, you, you look at them and they give you daggers and you think, oh, who are you? Like, I've had people come up and say, oh, your children are so nice. And I'm like, are you taking the piss? Are we talking about the same person? Because that's not the person I know, but, you know, but they, that's just the way they are with their parents, you know. So to get back to, you, you know, actually getting on with our partners right mm. you know i think that's that's definitely going to be a problem right that this is for a lot of guys either in my case where it's the house is my office where this is where i conduct most of my work from i do all my writing from recording from if i'm not out on the road and now there's more people in it. And I'm Tanya in this situation. Oh, right. OK. People are invading your space. Yeah. So I, I, I think um, that like dr- drawing the boundaries and setting the times was the, the key in this for us was actually going, well, work stops at this time because with both of our jobs, there can be a little bit of a tendency uh, to feel like I'm always working, always. There's always Mm. work to be done. So technically, I'm never off the clock. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. It's, do you know what it is? It's just a very 
potent reactive environment. Do you get me? Where like someone walks into a room and things kick off very we're like I know other couples and they don't they don't argue really. They just don't. They don't have that. Me, me and Tanya, we like to get into it. You know, and, and it can explode really quickly. And it, 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 over then what? Like, like over what? anything. I, I, we had a fight about blueberries the other day. Yeah, like blueberries. Uh, and what, it was how, litter- how do you have an argument over blueberries? So, so I say, can, can you know? Can I order some blueberries? And she said, Oh my god, you just I you you ate so many last week, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> um, you know, I work really hard. I think I'm entitled to fucking blueberries if I want blueberries. And then it's just exploded into this huge argument about fruit, you know. And you're just like. So, so does it, I read it somewhere. I read it in a book, and it's a very good analogy for when someone wants to have a fight with you. Right? Is it's an old Buddha story? You know, Buddha met a man on the street, and the man on the street said to him, "You know, ah, oh, your religion's a load of crap. You're full of shit." Da da da, and started giving Buddha a load of crap. You know, and Buddha said, "Look, if I have a gift, right, and I, I buy it for you, and you don't want it, who owns the gift?" It's mm. like, say that again. And he goes, if I have a gift and you don't want it, who owns the gift? And he goes, well, you do. And he goes, it's the same with anger and, and fighting. You know, someone's coming looking to give you a fight and you don't want it. You just refuse it. Mm. And they have to hold on to that anger. You yeah. know, it's, it's the same as I'm using all these an- analogies. But if you go to the zoo and you see the monkeys and the monkeys are, you know, going ape. And they're throwing their shit at the the window, and you know, you ju- you just laugh and look, go look at the stupid monkey, right? You don't you don't throw throw your shit back at the monkey, do you? You know, you don't yeah. do that. That, but that's that reactive process that we have as humans, where if you know, like the thing about someone like your partner, though, is they know where to just tap that little <sighs> bit of chisel. They can mine you for a good five ten minutes or a day in some cases until they get that reaction that they want out of you, which is an explosion or, or an emotional explosion of some sort. Oh. So it's it's trying to keep that together, you know, and trying to understand that this isn't a normal situation that we're all in there. It's not normal to be, you know, it's not a holiday. Mm. Do you get me? There's other the people are worried about their work. People are worried about other things. They're worried about, you know, having your kids around. Like I'm literally in this house, a butler. I'm 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 Je- I'm Jeeves to my children. <laughs> like I have a six-year-old who literally just brings me around like a puppy. <laughs> you know, I make her fish finger sandwiches and bad food, and I watch whatever movie she wants, and we do schooling together. And it's honestly, Charlotte, I'm close to sitting on the roof and taking a leap. It's torture, but <laughs> it's it's amazing as well. But it's it's nonstop. She's in my bed at night at the moment. She's like. Uh, we, we've just got to get routine back. We've got to get some type of routine in this new world we're living in, you know? Yeah, because I think that's the... Um, that, uh, I've brought this up on numerous occasions, right? Uh, over the last few weeks of episodes. It's the not knowing, right? Oh, it's yeah, the yeah. Absolutely the endless sense of lack of ending to this that is really upsetting. And if you dwell on that at all, that's where upset will creep in and I go to my darkest moments when you're like we can't actually plan I mean we all love a good plan and a holiday on the horizon and uh, to know that these dates are locked down but they aren't and also a lot of the decisions that we make by not putting routine in will have consequences like I said to Tina last night I was like holy shit, I do not envy the teachers having to welcome these kids back into schools. Oh, my God, yeah. They've been given the keys to the city for the last three months or longer. Who the fuck knows? The main gist of this whole show is what you mentioned, trying. So how are you and what do you identify as the effort and the steps you take towards recognizing these things that you do that inflame your situation. What are the steps you take to recognizing them and then moving to a better path? Yeah. So it's kind of like moving to a new country, right? I I, I remember when when you moved to London for the first while, it takes two years to settle in, right? Mm. Or you move to a new job. 
this is what this is. This is this strange new world where your children are around all day long, where you can't really get out. You can't go to your gym. You can't communicate with your peers in the same way that you're used to. Like, I love nothing more than sitting in a room with a load of coffee and bouncing ideas with people. Do you know, I hmm. like I, I, I love creating. So, so it's trying to find a structure to your day, right? Like, it starts by getting dressed and getting washed, right? This is as simple. And that might sound like, oh, stop that. But no, seriously, mm. I had two days I didn't wash. Yeah. Like, I got up and I put on tracksuit bottoms. And if you live in a tracksuit every day, you become that guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Semi, now, semi pajamas. This, if you could see me now, I'm like castaway. I have a big gray mop. I have a beard that's getting like good, good length in it now. Like it's so it's it's about feeling a bit like you, you know, getting mm. up, getting washed, getting like not sleeping late. You can't do that when you have young kids anyway. But mm. like I've like I say, I have a teenager here who one day honestly got up at ten past four. Holy shit. Ten past four. Even for me, that was a record. And I was like, right, we all need to. Th- this is stopping. We're all getting up, uh, you know, getting up early. And um, we're going to clean the house. We're going to do your bit of homework, this homeschooling. We'll do that till 12. And then dad is going to do his stuff for a couple of hours. And we're going to have our own time. And it's finding it's finding your place in this new world and finding a structure to it. Because as much as kids need it, you need it for you. You need it as a man. You know, mm. you need to know <clears throat> where am I going? Because, well, I'll tell you what's funny. You look at a lot of people and they, they're they saying they're being like uber creative or, you know, this is a great time to do all these things. It takes time to settle into that. Mm. It I does. Haven't, I, I haven't particularly been uber creative. You know, I did a couple of online things about coronavirus and stuff like that, but they're just factual interviews with doctors and things like that, you know, because it was just something to get my teeth into. But I haven't settled in yet into this. You know, I haven't I haven't got to that stage yet. Okay, so Um, the first step is getting yourself together, you know, like I think. I, I do think the shoes that I put on matter to my day and that if, if I'm Absolutely. slippers are for uh, leisure and for uh, Netflix and, you know, even if they're Cause otherwise, otherwise it's like an asylum. Mm. It's just a load of people walking around in dressing gowns. Yeah, it's a hospital. And you, it, it's, it's, you, you don't want to live in that. You know, you, <laughs> nobody wants to live in that place. So, so it's like getting up, getting ready, start the day. That's, that's yeah. your first thing. So and then, then in terms of, like I'm thinking in terms of the interaction because you know that's where most of the conflict is going to arise, right? That yeah, essentially what we do when we enter into a relationship with a man or a woman is agree to compromise. It's an agreement, and that's why you try and try and enjoy the other person's non-negotiables because those aren't ones that they're willing to compromise on. But we're sure. we're all agreeing to compromise on living together and doing it in such a way that both of us can enjoy it. Like the other night I said to Tina, we watch what you want <laughs> in the evenings, <laughs> just to be clear. And she was like, I am so offended. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I have a list of shit that I would love to watch. And I'm not getting to watch any of it, right? Yeah. And I was saying it joking, right? The, yeah. There was a joke in it because, you know, yeah. admittedly, I wasn't putting on shit that she that just she wanted to watch. I partially wanted to watch those things. But, it, you know, it was it, I guess it's the kind of thing that wouldn't fucking matter if you're not locked down because you're like, I'll get a half an hour to watch the end of that Diego Maradona documentary sure. when she goes off to do whatever she does. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in a weird kind of way, I felt directly afterwards that old Irish thing of um, people might dig their heels in, but it does go in. In terms of communication, do you think that maybe the the method through which you're just communicating with each other is the argument? And in fact, it's actually healthy enough in many ways because no one's holding anything back. 
Yeah, I I think sometimes you you know who you. Uh, I always say like sometimes we'd have arguments about you know can you fix the door handles was one I had recently right and I'm like fix the door handles and she's like not 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 install new door handles fix the the present door handle and I'm like at what stage in our relationship over the last fifteen years did you see me as that guy you know did did I did I give off the impression I was Mister Handy is it was was it the, the side of my butter knife and Allen key, which is the full extent of my toolkit. Was it, was it that, you know? And I was like, look, take your, you, you bought it how you saw it, right? It's, mm. It was my thing, right? You yeah, bought yeah. it how you saw it. That's what you I, signed up for. I'm not that guy, you know? You want someone to write you a sonnet, I'm your boy, you know? But, but if you're looking for someone to fix all the door handles, like, I, that's just not my pay grades. You know, it's, it's just not what I can do. I can, I can try I can try do those things, you know, but the thing is, you know who you're with. Mm. And I know in the relationship I'm with, with the woman I'm with, when she becomes volatile or stressed or angry, right, or argumentative or corners me, it's usually very little really to do about me. So it's knowing what's going on with her. What is she worried about? Is she worried about the other kids who aren't living here? Is she worried about her mom who's in Belgrade? You know, it's, it's rather than be reactive, it's being calm, it's being zen. This is very easy to say, but it is that. It is that. And it's it's what I was saying before. Sometimes it's good just to I remember I like I, I like yourself, Charlotte. I'm a sneakerhead, right? So at one mm. stage I, I to get away from the argument I said, I'm gonna go upstairs and I'm just gonna start cleaning sneakers. So I have one room that's just like a wardrobe thing and I, I went into that and I was just locked away in it. And she seeked me out. You know, she went through the whole house until she found the little cubby that I was in. And, and I went, you see what you've done? You've actually gone looking in searching for me to continue a fight. Right. So it's 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 trying as best as can to step out, to step away and to to know what is the real issues, what what people are really arguing about. Because a lot of people are very concerned, you know, they're worried. That line that you use of. Well, when she's mad at me, it's usually not about the door handles. Mm. It's usually this is the tip of the iceberg and there's something else underneath this. And that, you know, that can be misinterpreted and is misinterpreted by a lot of Irish men Mm -hmm. specifically because they go, sure, sure, there's always something fucking around there. Like, Mm. yeah, this whole thing that a lot of Irish guys have, the women are a fucking mystery. Sure, there's no Mm. point in wasting any time trying to puzzle it out because you'll, you know, that's a that's a, a cryptic code that you'll never be able to solve. But actually accepting what you were saying is accepting that, okay, she is upset here. And if I can step out of the argument and try and see around the corner or maybe look at the structure of what is the foundation of this, uh, that we might there, get a better chance the, of resolving li- it. There lies the remedy. There lies the remedy. Mm. If you could, if you could root that out. But the reactive thing to do as a man is someone shouting at me. I'm going to shout back. Yeah, as Ramesh like Ramesh Ranganathan was on last week, and he said your your first reaction is to go. She doesn't not like my behaviour. She doesn't like me. <laughs> this isn't the behavior of a prick she's calling me a prick (laughs) yeah which is very funny Um, that that is hard though right because uh, you know I think a lot of the time when we do stuff or we get stuff wrong that a lot of men want the credit for making the effort trying or even though they got it wrong they want to feel like Hey, hold on a minute. At least I attempted something. Mm, absolutely, but that's the that's the award scheme men give themselves. It, it's certain types of men, you know, who it'd be like if I come back home and I'm nailing it with the kids with their schooling and their dinners and I'm doing everything. And uh, Tanya doesn't particularly like that. She'd like me to create bad meals and not be on top of it all. Sometimes, you know, she says you she wants so. I, I, I think I think she can rest assured in the fact that I'm just not. A, I can do exactly what she can do. I just can't do it as quick mm. or as tasty. 
Do you know what I mean? That's the truth of it, you know? But you were saying that she nearly wishes failure upon you so that she can feel better about how good kind she of, is at it. Kind of, kind of, you know, kind of. <laughs> we have a very unhealthy relationship, I've just realised. But but it's... Well, it does make us all feel vital if the job that we usually do, just want, no one just else want, can do it. Yeah, yeah. You just want to feel like, like, what do you contribute? Like, what's your part to the family, you mm. know? And this is why for men at this present moment in time, it's very difficult, you know, because that's your sometimes that's what happens as a man. You, you shoulder certain things that you you don't certain worries or certain concerns you have that you don't want to share. You know, you, you try not to share because then that just passes the worry on to other people and you feel like that's your responsibility. But this is this is why it's so important for men to talk about things, because when you shoulder them on your own, then it becomes it becomes very unhealthy. Well, I do. I do want to get to that, and I do want to mm. get to that. But by the sounds of things, as I said already, I, I, I know that uh, the volatility in the arguments might sound like not the best. But I do think there's something about a, a couple when you're in a couple that can happily have a row in the full knowledge that it will be put away once done, is not the worst communication system. As much as you know, we don't want our kids seeing us arguing. But actually being able to uh, voice disapproval and push back on the other person. It's also, it's also how you harbour it. Like some people have an argument and they let it go and it's done. And some people uh, will have an argument and then they'll hold on to it. Mm. Which I, I, I'm not being sexist, but I tend to think is can be a female trait. Men tend to argue and get over it fairly fast. Women tend to... I don't know. They bank stuff sometimes. It's the reason that you'd be in the middle of an argument. They bring up something from 1997 and you're like, what? Uh, what? Mm, yeah, um, no, that, that that's incredible that's memory that like uh, I'm always accused of being the person who has that in our relationship. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing who can do that. But again, it's, it's an um, annoying skill as well, though. It's super annoying. It is super. It's 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 especially super annoying because of the abuse of drink and drugs over the years. Where my memory, there's many years I don't remember very well. So so it's it, <laughs> it's, it's not just, playing fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not. You like you could make up anything right now. I can't remember. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> so so for me, it's particularly annoying. But like you said, I think the thing is to have your argument, get it out. Get heated and then get it over with. Well, let me uh, just go back to the, you know, the meritocracy or the points system, because I do think that, like you say, when I'm when you said that when I'm on top of it, I'm nailing it with the kids. Do you have a sense that like a lot of guys do that I'm earning good credit here and that I am going to be allowed certain things as a result of my good behavior? Do I think I was talking to someone else before and he said he learned to cook purely because if he didn't learn a skill that was incredibly valuable to the house, his wife would never it would never work. She was going to throw things in his face. So his ability to cook a really solid meal Mm. in the evenings and give her that break meant so much to her. And also, did it did it mean that that he then was allowed to have his free time? he said it saved their relationship. Right. Just him cooking one meal in the evenings saved their relationship. And I was like, wow, okay, yeah. that's very clever. So, you know, I can, I can see how that would work. Yeah, you so, know? so my question relates to the sense that uh, that guy would learn to do that so that he can play golf. And yeah. He knows that I will not be allowed to play golf without taking an unbelievable amount of shit each and every time if I do not balance out the scales on the other side by doing something vital. Do you like I feel like there's I think I think this is a pretty old theory. It might even come from that book Men Are From Mars. Yeah. That women operate on a a one point system. Bring out the bin plus one point. Don't bring out the bin minus <laughs> one point, right? But you can only ever be one point up. And this is the problem that a lot of men have is that yeah. they think anniversary present, 400 points. No, one point. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot in that. And I, I like I only That's established that a while ago because it's like, you know, you, you want to constantly remain one point up. 
but never get it into your feckin' head that, that you're accumulating cost, yeah, points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's your take on that? Because I know that that's, that's a real... Because the next thing we're going to go to is apologizing for fuck-ups, which is, you know, a huge area that we could spend a full hour on. But yeah. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I, I think it's very dangerous to compare your relationship always to other people's relationships. Because every one of them is very, very different. You know, I heard a woman one night at, 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 when we go out as a couple, myself and Tanya, we tend to enjoy having a go at each other in quite a in comedic public. way. In like not like not heated, but but jibey. Yeah. You know, like 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 and other people find it hilarious, but they think we're always joking. But sometimes it's coming from a real place, right? And one woman said one night. She said, oh, my God. And I, I was asking, say, her husband's Dan. And I said, how's Dan getting on? And she said, you know what? He's always in the middle. You know, he never gets he never he never fights with me. You know, he, he never he never he's never really excited and he's never really down. He's just hovering along in the middle somewhere all the time. Mm. And that to her was a complaint. Wow. Right. And I was like, <laughs> You can't always compare what your relationship is to other relationships because you're with completely different people. And the reason sometimes you're with someone is because they know you, the real you. Mm. They know you in a lockdown situation in your house. Like, I understand the points thing. I'm very much like that. Like, you know, I will defend myself with chores that I've done and things that I've done. But my values come from I think they come from a different side of things. Tanya's very, I'm more into like the kids reading and their schooling and working stuff out with them and keeping them motivated. And it, we have completely different parenting skills. And it, when it comes to household stuff, we both kind of carry it in our own ways. There doesn't really seem to be. There's always that. Oh, you don't do enough, and you don't do this. And I'm like, right. But then, you know, she knows how hard I work for our family as well. You know, so I don't know. It's a hard one for me to answer. Mm. I just worry sometimes that I I hear other people go, well, you know, John did this, and you know, Mary's husband is like this, and you're like, I don't really care about Mary's husband. Yeah, I don't particularly like. I don't particularly like Mary's husband, do you know? <laughs> or, like, well, well, that's where the whole uh, argument goes where, well, fucking marry him then. <laughs> yeah, know? but it is, like he's not a very nice guy. Yeah. Like, like just because he what he cooked a bloody souffle doesn't mean, you know, he's not a very nice, a nice guy. He goes away every like he doesn't spend any time with his kids ever. Hmm. I literally go to work and have my family life. That's all I do, hmm. really. Yeah. You know, I might see my mates once every couple of months, you know, but in general, you know, I stay in contact with them, but I'm not an out every weekend watching the football kind of guy. I have I have young kids, a young family, so they take priority. So I won't be kind of dictated by what Yvonne's husband does or whoever. I don't really care about those guys, you know. Well, let's uh, go back a little bit, because like through all of your work, Baz, there's been kind of an understanding or a there's a true line or a thread of manhood and modern manhood and appreciation for and understanding for different walks of life, different understandings of people, the exploration and your curiosity of different cultures and ways that men <laughs> make their livings interact with the world. Mm -hmm. Like, was it the understanding that your family came and was influenced by a different culture and that you were yourself so different from everyone else that sparked that interest early on? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know, because whatever, you, you, you know, culturally I was growing up from a different background. So even though that background was very masculine in a way, you know, my father was Egyptian, so he was quite a, you know, um, quite a man's man, mm. and it's a different environment. But, but I think you know. I, I and then my father left when I was kind of young, so then it was just then I was raised by two women. So that and must I, have a huge impact right there and then. Absolutely, I think I got a great understanding of women from it. 
And um, did it did it at all impact your kind of like we've had other people on who felt like they had a greater understanding of the weaknesses of men and the kind of how much men are prone to wander? Yeah, I, I think so, because I think I looked at like I, I my dad was someone I, I was terrified of and I adored. I was in awe of because he was a beautiful, masculine, muscular man with a magnificent mustache. Do you know what I mean? And he was, Why were you afraid of him? And because he was a very angry, dominant male, you know, he had a chair. He sat in it. No one messed with him. He would shout at you. You know, there was a certain way you acted. It was, you know, a very "don't cry, be a man" attitude to life. Did he you hit know, you? I, no, no, not at all. No, but 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 there was always that threat that at any given moment he could beat the living shit out of you. You know, there was yeah. that kind of underlying thing that uh, he ruled by fear. That, yeah, like really. And like, you know, before he died, we, we became good friends. But our father son relationship was very, very absent. You know, he was more like a mate, you know, someone who I, I knew, but I never kind of relied on him. So what age life. was he when he left? Maybe I, well, I was seven. So when he left and then he died when I was 20. So that's that's massively tough in a lot of ways. And like Obviously, your mother is you know, someone that everybody will know from your shows and uh, can completely appreciate that she she's advising you on who you're going to be as a man. Do you remember now that the dust settled and you can appreciate that his method was aggressive alpha, uh, whereas I'd imagine that once he's gone, your creative side is allowed to blossom and you're not trying to knock lads out if you disagree with them. Yeah, like I, I don't, like my dad was a big guy. My dad was a big six foot four, very handsome, married a lot of times, loved women. That kind of 70s, you know, a mm. generation of man, you know, and, and just when I grew up, I ended up being the six foot three guy and I was like, wow, okay. And then all of a sudden I was like, I didn't need to be any, they were not traits of man that I liked. I was, I was very comfortable in my masculinity. I was okay with just being me. I was okay with not wanting to be a sports head or, or, or I was okay with, I was okay with being a different type of man. Hmm. You know, I was okay with delving into creativity and being open and honest and being vulnerable. This is the thing that men put up a shield, and I understand, but it's the whole thing that we found years, years on that this is very unhealthy as well. And you don't have any recollection of the realization that I'm not like other lads. I'd imagine that, like from from a very young, you got to like like when other lads were going to soccer matches and their dads were on the sideline. My mum was there. I remember having a conversation with my mum, going, "I don't want you to come to these matches anymore," How because should... it felt it felt yeah. weird that she was there, and, and then you know, or you'd get into a fight, and usually someone's dad would call around to the other person's house you know, in the estate or their brother or something like that. And I didn't have that. I didn't have a, 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 a male figure to kind of look up to or mm. to protect me. So even even skills that I would have from being sent to like Borstal, I went to a boarding school in the Midlands and the two years that I was in there, like I never used violence as a way to get out or get what I want ever. It was always comedy. It was always like making lads laugh and having a buzz with them and having the crack and, and being likable. But on was, the on the other was, hand, you are the, the inverted commas, man of the house with your mom. I, I'd imagine that there's responsibilities that were put upon you and there is a sense, a greater sense of responsibility in you towards protecting her. Yeah, I think my mum taught me more about being a man than my dad ever did. That's the truth, Charlotte. Like, so, like, so what did that look my, like is my, my mom, question. My like, mom, how is she dispensing it, kind of male advice from her position? I don't think it was male advice, though. I think it was just there was certain things about being a man you had to figure out on your own. You know, like like I was dealing with a lot of things to do with kind of race and culture and mm. those issues, you know, where you were coming back and you were getting getting into fights or getting beat up because of, you know, you were the packy kid or you were this or you were that. So there was and heaps then, of that, was there? 
It was a fair bit of it. Like, it was Ireland in the 80s. Like, there was me and some other mixed-race kid. That's about as many mixed-race kids as there were in Ireland. Mm. You know, wasn't that many at the time. <laughs> so, like, you know, it was strange. Like, like you know, any of the schools I went to, I think it was me and maybe one other mixed-race kid in our school. That was it. So, it was like, if you had ginger hair, they'd slag you for being ginger. If you wore glasses, it'd be glasses. But when you were just, you know, eggshell-coloured with an afro, like, you were easy, easy money to target but i was robust enough with it i was a kid who'd like hung out in street corners and sat on a lot of walls eating chipsticks and i learned this what i learned from being irish is how to be sharp and how to give it back and how to be witty and how to you know those skills became very useful to me you know and i and also self-deprecation so when you you say your mother taught you more about being a man what what do you remember her teaching you just about kindness and uh, mental strength, values of family, value of work, value of hard work, uh, the ability to to deflect other people's negativity. Mm. These were all things that became very useful to me. You know, people will try to, no matter what age you are, people will try to piss on your dreams sometimes. You know, they'll try and do that and put you in a place, put you in a box and tell you what you're capable of and what you're able to do. My mum taught me all those, all those things. She taught, I think she taught me the value of, um, of being your own person and knowing your worth and failing. That was the main thing, you know, you got to fail to learn anything. You have to, it's part of the process. And that was probably the most important thing she taught me, you know. So before we get on to uh, Wingman, which is a, a show that I remember you telling me about in Dublin Airport one day when we bumped into each other, I'm mean, just thinking, yeah, yeah, oh my God, this is absolutely destined to be huge. I do want to ask just to dip back into mm. the relationship thing because we're all going to have to apologize way more than normal now. And I think that I used to joke that I used to give out apologies like business cards in my relationship <laughs> and, yeah. uh, that they were, you know, slung around the place. I didn't mind giving them out. Sure, I have loads of them. And I think Tina yeah. eventually saw me doing that bit of material on stage and realized, oh, he doesn't actually mean it when he says sorry. He's just saying sorry to get out of the row or kind of just move things along. But, mm. but like we've since kind of I would think that when you're raising kids you're going you're you're suddenly examining how you do these things because you're so conscious of how it gets passed on and Mikey my little guy really does apologize the same way Tina does and it's a big source of you know hilarity on the one hand and then on the other it really bugs me because he'll go, look, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. That's it. That's the end of it. Okay, look, what do you, what more do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I don't know what you're chasing here, but you've got your apology now. Come on. Whereas I'm like, no, there's parts to the apology. There's, first of all, the recognition of what you did. That's the first thing. Then there's the words. Then there's the change. The change that takes place is the commitment not to do it again. Mm. And then after that, we don't all go happy families immediately afterwards because I need to see the change. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, probably people are listening to this going, oh, my God, can you imagine living with this? Break? <laughs> <laughs> like these are his you're four right, tenants though. of you're his apologies. Right, though. But you're you, right, though. that I like I don't think it's crazy, but it's hard to live by. Right. It's very hard, particularly when you're the person having to do a lot of the apologizing. What's your approach to it? And how do apologies tend to run in your house? So Tanya never apologized for anything in her life. (laughs) True, Scott. She's never apologized for anything. She doesn't have it in her. You know, I have a friend who's who has the same gene. (laughs) <laughs> where they they just they can't say the words I'm sorry what? they can't re- they, they can't recognize they can't rec- they can't give any recognition wow for for that what which I'm amazed by what oh a place to live what a place to live Donald but, Trump but stuff it, 
honestly that's 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 what they do and it took me a long time to uh, understand it and accept it and sometimes there's an element of that that you have to understand when you're with someone like what's the best way of putting? i've a may connor right and he's always late and he's always late oh to this, so annoying to yeah, like where you would say, okay, I'll meet you there. We'll we'll meet at nine o'clock, okay? And then I'm sitting in a bar at nine o'clock and he arrives at like 10 past 10. Oh my God, I couldn't handle it, man. Right? I couldn't and, handle and, it. And I go, man, what did you, you know? And it took, and he just got, I'm so sorry. I, I, and there's always an excuse, right? Mm-hmm. So it got to the stage where <clears throat> I was bitching about him so much that a friend of mine said, shut up. Like, just make a decision. Either you accept he's that guy that's always late or you accept that that's not something you can have in mm. the relationship you have yeah. with him. Yeah. Right. So you, you've got to make a decision because he's not going to change. Mm-hmm. So where are you at with it? And then I realized, okay, I love Connor. I need him in my life. I just will never arrange to meet him on my own. Yeah. That's, that's, that'll have to be what it is because I can't sit around on my own. Likewise, I'm with a woman who I know will never apologize for anything ever in the direct, I'm sorry, route. Okay. You will never hear those words come out of her mouth ever. Yeah. Forever. But she will I, change her behavior. But she will change yeah. her behavior and she will say sorry in different ways that eventually I've found acceptable to a certain degree. Because there's going to be other dudes listening to this and women listening to this mm. going, Oh, I, I, I'm I'm Baz in this relationship. I, I'm mm. definitely in a relationship where I'm not going to ever get an apology. Like, look, at, that's learned as well. That's the thing that I find troubling about that. If I'm in that relationship and I'm that person listening to this now, that's learned behavior. And we all learned that from our parents. I never heard my parents say, Jar, I messed that up. I'm mm. sorry. I should have done this. I did this instead. I never heard that from them. Now, I apologize to Mikey so much on a daily basis that <laughs> I might actually need to rein it back in a little but bit. But you know what it is? It's the value you put on those words. Yeah. The value those people put on those words is much more than the value you put on words. I don't know, man, because I, when I when I apologize to him, I'm saying to him that it's OK to be wrong and that we actually uh, like uh, and a lot over this last three weeks the chats have been you know it's a sign of strength it's endearing to people to go I screwed that up I won't do that again but the person that goes I didn't do that no well there's nothing wrong with me that's that's you (laughs) (laughs) that's a real turn off but, you know, for those people, to get back to this, for those people that know yeah. that they're in that relationship and they're, your advice is accept it or make another decision. Or it's a deal breaker. Like, that's the way relationships are. Either accept that trait of them, that's not going to change. Or, or it's a deal breaker. Simple as. Simple as. And sometimes it is a deal breaker. This is the thing in relationships. Sometimes you're also... You know, the sorry thing you see from me is the words I'm sorry mean very little to me. I've had people over my life apologize and it's meant nothing. Mm. Yeah, the right? words and are. Yeah, they're, the they're words, one component. Yeah, they really are. There's some very smooth talking people out there and they say sorry all the time. My dad used to say sorry all the time for, for shit that he just would go off and do it again repeatedly. Mm. And I know, I, I, you know, I, I've heard it. I heard these words. The actions everything will show, will show yeah. are everything in it yeah you know and even like you say there like if something bad happened i like i have little relationship tests i do as in like someone had said something to me before where they were saying i'm sorry but i didn't believe they were sorry mm. so I'd, I'd place this kind of relationship test between me and a, a male friend of mine and they failed it you know and i was Go like on. What, what's the I, test no it was just like it, it, it was it was an olive branch I'd been offering for a long time. Right. And then I was hearing that they were saying other things behind my back. This sounds right. I, I was really upset about it. I was really, really upset about it. And and I, I, I was one of those people that if I say I'm sorry, look, let's start fresh. Let's get it out of the way, which I've always prided myself on being that that guy. 
And it was over something really trivial, like I was doing them a favor for something on Instagram. It was something really trivial, right? And then I heard there, there, this bad man. So I said, look, I'll offer this olive branch once more. And if they don't take it, I'm done. Hmm. Like as in, I'll, like I'll say, why don't we go to this thing together? Why don't we spend some time together? Why don't we do this? And if they don't take this 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 time, I'm done. And usually in a relationship, if I'm done with someone, I, like I have the same friends I've had since I was 13, Jar. Like, like you know, mm. and this was this was someone who I was close with for a long time. But I was like, if they don't take it this time, then we're definitely done. It tells me where they are at yeah, in this man. in this. And I did, and they didn't take it, and then we were done. You know, that was it. Because I was like, I can't, I can't be with a, I can't be friends with someone I don't trust who's a liar. I can't have those people around me. You know, I just, they're not people I want in my life, you know. So this is obviously how Wingman comes about, right? This is a big thing for you. This friendship, like you say, these people that you've been friends with for all these years, the loyalty and the raising of each other up is essentially the core of Wingman. Maybe explain to people the the concept and what your vision was for the show and what it ended up being. So the concept was simply that in life, there's things that we've all wanted to pursue or try or do. And for whatever reason, we don't do it, you know, mm -hmm. and and sometimes that can be purely down to I found that I've had moments in my life where I've done or achieved amazing things. And it's come down to one person believing in me. hundred percent. And and it can be as simple as that. It can just be one person who's usually not someone really close to you because the person really close to you knows you so well that they can put limitations on you, that not purposely or not in a negative way, but just in a – like if you – say you're trying to give up cigarettes, you're trying to give up smoking, and you've tried 20 times – and your wife just goes, oh, look, you're always at this. You do this every year at this time. You say you're going to do it and you never do it, mm. right? She's, uh, you understand why she says that. You've done it for 20, 20 years saying the same thing and you never get do it. Yeah. But then that, eventually that becomes toxic. Yeah, you need so fresh you, eyes. You need fresh eyes on it. You need different, you need someone else, someone else. So, so my thing was that there was so many things like that I'd done in my life where Sometimes you have to prove to yourself to believe. Uh, people just go, "Oh, believe in yourself." Very hard to believe in yourself if you haven't proved anything to yourself. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. No, Bob, the, the people who say believe in yourself, I've I always had great difficulty with that for so long because it was like, uh, oh, belief comes from somewhere. You know, there's absolutely. there's a reason for confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So so that didn't work for me. Like that never worked for me. People going. You know, just believe in yourself. Well, how can I believe in myself? I'm not sure. I'm doubting myself. I'm a creative. Mm. Like, just a creative process is, oh, I'm great. This is great. I'm brilliant. This is shit. This, I, this is awful. I'm great. This is great. I'm shit. This is shit. And it, it's a, it's a cycle. It's a mountain. Sure. Range. Your critical of, voice is the reason why you're creating good stuff because your critical voice is the one that tells you, oh, you can do 100%. better than that. Hundred percent. And it's the same in these things. So I wanted to define people who wanted to to achieve or do something that they were too scared of failing at to do on their own, you know, and that's what and I did. I found it. And be their wingman, just be someone to go through it with them. Go, you know, I had um, a farmer in Loud. He's very isolated, living on his own. And he saw a play he fell in love with. And he went to his local drama group and he showed it to them. And, and they said, we'll put it on file. And then he said, ask, could he join the drama group? And they said they were uh, they were all full, which was fuckers like really <laughs> you know, unbelievable. But this is this is like am drama at its best. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. It's the, the click. very can it the click. And he wasn't invited, so I said, "Look, screw them. Me and you'll put on a play. We'll do a big one night only, and we'll do a two man play. You know, a Malachi McKenna play that he loved." And and that's what we did. Tell me this but, though: people are immediately thinking, "How do you find this guy?" You research and you put out shout outs on Instagram and, and you go searching and radio call outs and you look and you look and you look. And when and you, you find him, you must be like jackpot. I, I knew straight away. I knew straight away that he was real. 
Mm. He's a real person who's real emotion and really afraid and really, you know, I was, I was saying to him, if we go on this stage and we, you die, you won't die alone. We'll die together. You know, yeah. like that's, 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 that's the, the only, beauty of it. That's the only thing I can offer you is yeah. that I'm here with you to do this. Yeah. Like, it's, not won't, won't, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not stand up. Exactly. We, you know, it's a play. If you die, I die. It's us together. Yeah. I mean, you know? that, that's beautiful, man. I imagine, though, that you, you did meet the unreal people, the few messers that are just trying to get in the telly, given that but that is, is the they're, currency they're now. They're of no interest. They're of no interest. I saw a woman who beat breast cancer and she she was had a lot of domestic violence in her past. And she she went to John Kavanagh, who's Conor McGregor's coach, yeah. and he trained her for three months and she got into a cage and fought. What? Do you know what I mean? In MMA. Like Unbelievable. This woman, and she was terrified. She was terrified of the punch. She was terrified of being hit. She'd been hit so much that just being struck in the face would cause her such stress and trauma. She overcame that. It, it's, do you know what I'm addicted to? That feeling of accomplishing something. Like Jimmy, after we did the play, was never the same again. I speak to him, I speak to him regularly. Yeah, you know, that's he, he's a different thing. he's a different person because of facing his fears. He's a different person. He might never become a Hollywood actor, but he he was doing Panto at Christmas. He has a group of friends in the theater, kind of the theater uh, clique, you know, who he's got new avenues of, of friendship with with new people. He's not as isolated as he was. He's happier. Man, it's something else. It really is. In the final bit of this chat, I want to talk a little bit. I don't know how comfortable you are talking about intimacy mm. and uh, love. But in the second, in the Patreon bonus material on this, I want to talk about the things you identify as the biggest mistakes of your life. And secondly, uh, you know, romance, the thing that Irish fellas have biggest problem with actually yeah. <laughs> doing doing the smooth stuff. Uh, yeah. So that's all over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad if you want to join us over there and continue the chat. But uh, for the iTunes and SoundCloud people, Baz, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so ah, listen, much. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, the Baz Ashmawi episode of Men Behaving Better and what a fun chat it was and there's more over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad where we do get to talk about intimacy romance the key mistakes that Irish men and men in general tend to make when it comes to initiating intimacy and establishing romance in their relationships and Baz talks about the fundamental key mistake that he made early in his life it's probably the juiciest bit of the show and it's reserved for the people who pay the fiver a month to support this podcast its creation and more you get access to all the episodes of men behaving better and all the episodes of irishman abroad that's hundreds more interviews with people like gabriel byrne sharon horgan lisa hannigan sonia o'sullivan brian o'driscoll sir terry wogan sir bob geldof ap mccoy and many many more besides as i said more than 300 episodes to choose from over there so please do support this podcast support its creation during this difficult time by signing up to us on patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad our charity partner is jigsawonline.ie now as you know and as we talk about in this episode, for young people who maybe haven't gone as many West of Ireland holidays as most of us have, this is, no matter what way you look at it, going to be an extremely difficult period for them. What Jigsaw Online do is they have an education team of professionals who go and provide workshops and education and support for young people and their mental health to help them avoid the pitfalls and the things that we're seeing in grown-ups now, people who didn't have support and the understanding of their welfare and their mental welfare early on. It's to instill those things and equip kids and youngsters 
and young people with those vital skills that they'll need to live their life from this day forward. And right now, with COVID-19, the challenges facing families and these young people are massive. If you want to check out what they have on offer, or if you would like to donate to that, maybe set up a monthly rolling payment like our Patreon people do, it's easy. Go to jigsawonline.ie. Everything you need to know about them is there, but it will help immensely. Whatever you decide to do, whatever small donation you can make to them will immensely help the work they do in travelling Ireland and changing mental health and welfare for young people in Ireland across communities wherever they go. So thanks again to Baz Ashmawi for taking the time to do this episode and opening up in the way he did. Wingman is available online. Seek it out as are 50 Ways to Kill Your Mammy and his own tour show which is starting I believe once all of this uh, hullabaloo as Boris would call it dies down. And um, I want to say a massive thank you to Brian Connolly for his production, as always, to Tina and Mikey for making it possible, and to you guys. Sign up on Patreon to hear the rest of the show and all our other episodes, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Men Behaving Better. I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up, roll up, roll up. I used to roll up, roll up.